In the name of the living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's a great pleasure and a privilege to be here this evening. And I want to thank Dean Markham for appointing me to the high and exalted title of Dean Scholar. And this enables me to hang out uh, and make conversation, as the prayer book used to say, with those who teach and those who learn. Uh, when I came last week, I was reminded that the first time I set foot on this campus was more than 40 years ago. I was a child priest, obviously. Uh, <laughs> when I was a rector in Washington and came here to learn how to supervise seminarians in their fieldwork at my parish. Now, I see we have a lot of children here tonight. So I'm going to speak to them first, but the rest of you, those of riper years, uh, may eavesdrop if you like. As you eavesdrop, meditate with me on the 11th chapter of, of Luke, the 42nd verse. Woe to you Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue, and every herb, every herb, and neglect the ju justice and the love of God. Now, I'm gonna ask some questions, and I hope you'll have some answers. You raise your hand? Okay, good. What is justice? Does anybody know what justice means? Yes. Say your prayer. Prayer is basically part of justice, yes. What else? When we do justice. Well, I think it means doing the right thing, especially when it comes to our friends and neighbors. Okay. Uh, or, another way to put it is to always be fair. What is, to be fair, what does that mean? What is fair? You can answer. What is fair? Give me an example. Fair. fair. If you're fair to somebody. Yeah. That's a very good definition, top of the class. So you have a mutual benefit and you, you recognize other people's feelings and they recognize yours and that is fairness. So if you do the right thing and we're being fair, that just about sums up what justice is. Now, is justice a person? It's a name, it's kind of an idea, isn't it? Okay, but I have an idea, let me show you what justice would look like if you were a person. Oh my goodness, it's, it's amazing. <laughs> if you knew how low-tech I was, you'd be very impressed. <laughs> uh, you can see in four different places a picture of justice, okay? Now, is justice a man or a woman? It's a woman, and why do you think she's a woman? I'm getting on. Eggshells here. Why is just as a woman, not a man, do you think? Yes. Mm -hmm. Wait, but, but before we get to that, why, why do you think she's a woman at all, as opposed to a man? Yes. <laughs> Anybody have any idea? 
because you don't know what, what, is, what is in and, and are you, you raising your hand? Oh, okay, that's good. That, that's good to do. Yeah, oh, oh, good. Yes. Yes. And, and why? We find it. Why is it a woman? Yes. Yes. What did we say justice was? Yes. A lot of people believe rightfully so, that girls, also known as women, are more fair and, uh, and kind. And so justice it makes sense to make into a woman. Or well, so thought all these, all these centuries of people. Okay, now we get to everything else. What does justice have in her right hand? Look, look, at, the, look at the picture and tell me what it is. No, that's the left hand. <laughs> Yes. Right, a scale of equal about to each side. And why do you think justice has scales? Yes, for fairness. And what does she do with those scales? What do you use scales for? Yes. How much they weigh? Like if you got on the scale, it would say 60 pounds or something, you know. And if my friend George, I mean, John, uh, Paul got, got on the scale, they'd say 200 pounds. If I got on the scale, if I got on the scale, they would say one at a time, please. Okay, okay, okay. So the scales, what are those scales used for? Yes. Right. It's, if you look at Perry Mason or Law, Law and Order, it's evidence, the stuff they bring into court, and they weigh it to see who's right and who's wrong, and so on. So that's what the scales are there for. Now, in Justice's left hand, what do you see? Somebody else? <laughs> yes. A sword. And what do you think that's for? What's the sword for? Who, what, what do we use a sword for? Fencing, fencing, yes. Yes, Some, and what, what thing can you do with the sword? Yes. Fight it for justice, yes. That's a good, that's a good, uh, we fight for justice, what else? Yes? For, for equal justice, and sometimes, I, I like the fighting for justice answer, but sometimes the sword is used to punish once the evidence is in and they offer their heads, but we won't go there. Okay. So now, now can, question, can you see justice's eyes? She has something over her eyes, and what is that thing? What is that called? She's blind. And what, what do you, what do you call that thing that makes you blind temporarily? Yes. Anybody know? It. 
a blindfold. That's exactly right. Very smart group you have here. <laughs> so, we have Justice with his, her scales, a sword, and her blindfold. And why does she have a blindfold on? Your hands are getting tired. <laughs> Do you, want, you know why? <laughs> okay. Why does she have a blindfold on? Yes. Right. And also, if you have a blindfold on, what, what can't you do? What can you not do? Yes? You can't see. So what should justice not see? Excuse me? Where she's going? Okay. Oh, she, 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 she's usually... That's an answer, yes. Okay, yeah. Another answer? Excuse me? Appearances, very good. In other words, she's blindfolded because if she had blind, uh, uh, no blindfold and could see, she would know who is in front of her. But this way she can give a sentence regardless of who has allegedly done the bad, the bad thing. So she's blind because she, that's one way to make her fair. Well, I, th I think the class has done very well, don't you? Mm -hmm. Now, we've heard the kids, they have told us what justice is, that it's fairness, and it's doing things on behalf of our neighbor, and it's about being fair. Now, believe it or not, there are some people in the Episcopal Church who believe that the problem with the Episcopal Church today is that we are too concerned with social justice and not concerned enough about the gospel. Duh. Newsflash. <laughs> the gospel is about justice. The gospel got lots of ideas of people like Micah and Amos letting letting um, justice roll down like waters and so on. And in the New Testament, especially Luke, we see it's replete with parables about justice. The Good Samaritan, who had rediscovered what a neighbor is, of course, to the Jew, there was no such thing as a Good Samaritan. That was an oxymoron. Uh, and then there was the prodigal son, and, and then Dives and Lazarus. Remember that, the poor man at his gate? All he had was to wipe the, use the bread and make, which the rich man used as a napkin and to, have to rub his, his, um, his lips to get some nourishment. And then one of my favorites is the intriguing story of the widow who, who camped herself out at the judge's chambers 24 seven, uh, demanding justice. And what did the judge do? The judge said, I fear not God nor man, but this woman is wearing me out. <laughs> and so I will give her what is coming to her. Uh, and if these stories don't grab you, try the fourth chapter of Luke, uh, which is where Jesus has his inaugural sermon, in which he maps out his blueprint for ministry. He cites words from the prophet Isaiah to preach good tidings to the afflicted, to bind up the brokenhearted, 
and to pro proclaim liberty to the captives. But the Thebans Gospel gives us a unique insight into justice. Jesus lambastes the Pharisees. The Pharisees, of course, were those self-laudatory paragons of virtue who adhered to every jot and tittle of the law, but who, but who neglected to show justice to those around them. Jesus drives the point home by telling us that they took tithing, giving 10% of their income, very, very seriously, so that they even included in the income line of their 1040, the value of every herb in their garden, including something called rue, not R-O-U-E, which is a sauce, but R-U-E, and I know a little something about that. And, and that herb is very toxic and uh, bitter, and yet they tie that. But when it came to showing justice and mercy, they had instant paralysis. My sisters and brothers in Christ, what Jesus is doing is accusing the Pharisees of what a friend of mine used to call majoring in the minors. And if you want to know the cause of the problems facing our church, look no further. We too have been majoring in the minors, navel-gazing over such issues as prayer book revision, the role of women in the church, in some places not a closed issue, by the way, so, and also the interminable de debate over human sexuality. So much so that the gospel goes unheard in our already decimated parishes. I know, I hail from the Diocese of Pittsburgh, whose former bishop spuriously claimed that he and his follow followers had a corner on the market of orthodoxy and the rest of us were cast out and he described us as uh, apostate and heretics. Could part of the problem lie with our seminaries? Oh, heaven forbid. Present company is excluded, of course. <laughs> but some seminaries, some other seminaries, often seem to be places where there is less concern about what we used to call priestly formation and more concern about providing laboratories where students may work out or work through personal issues of one kind or another. How tiresome. Seminarians, too, often feel that they must have a cause other than learning how to be a minister of the gospel. I've encountered, for, for example, future clergy who believe that the most burning issue of the church today is the need for inclusive language, and who are genuinely surprised when they discover that their parishioners' hearts are burning instead to hear the gospel, a gospel of inclusion, assuring them that they are marked as Christ's own forever. Many Christmases ago, I was struggling with what to preach about at midnight mass. My mother-in-law, blessed memory, was staying with us, and I asked her how I might craft my message. Her advice was simple. Quoting from an old Methodist hymn, she said, Harold, tell them the old, old story of Jesus and his love. My friend, the people of God who come in their brokenness to our altars week by week need to know that Jesus loves them, need to know that, that earth has no sorrow, that heaven cannot heal. They are literally dying to know that there is indeed a bomb in Gilead. And we fail miserably in our calling if we refuse to give them that assurance.
And I don't have to remind you of the need, that the need is such a great need and it can only come from the church. We can't depend on getting it someplace else because the likelihood that that could happen is between slim to none. Perhaps you've all read Ryan Stevenson's new book, Just Mercy. Listen to what he says. I won't read the whole thing. The true measure of our character is how we treat the poor, the disfavored, the accused, the incarcerated, and the condemned. Is this not an apt, if unwitting, indictment on an administration which has become, in little less than a year, a narcissistic reality show? Almost every marginalized group, immigrants, racial and ethnic minorities, women, gays, transgenders, the underinsured, peaceful protesters, and even some hurricane victims who needed some paper towels, and to name a few, all these people have been treated with derision, disdain, and contempt. My friends, let us not tithe our mint and rue. Let us not major in the minors. Let us indeed, here's a phrase for you, let us eschew the adiaphora. Let us not get so caught up in inconsequential stuff that we forget our promise in the baptismal covenant to strive for justice and peace among all people and respect the dignity of every human being. Let us pray. Cure thy children's warring madness. Bend our pride to thy control. Shame our wanton, selfish gladness, rich in things and poor in soul. Grant us wisdom, grant us courage, lest we miss thy kingdom's goal. Amen.